The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Today on the Main Street Vegan Show, we are going to be talking about sex and ego. Good. Now I have your attention. Okay. After the break, we will be bringing on Joel Kahn, MD, who is a holistic cardiologist and so convinced that food can heal that he has actually opened a restaurant. The sex part comes in because he is the male PETA's sexiest vegan over 50 this year, uh, serving in that capacity alongside his female counterpart, and that would be me. And right now, we're going to be talking about ego and all kinds of other things with a delightful, delightful young woman. You've met her before on this show, and she is Camille DeAngelis. She is up in Boston, and she is a novelist. Her books include Mary Modern, Petty Magic, Bones and All. We had her on with Bones and All, a novel uh, for young adults, although I read it and loved it, um, about a teenage cannibal interesting book for a vegan to write. Uh, Camille is a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, and she has recently turned her literary attention to nonfiction. Her latest book is Life Without Envy, Ego Management for Creative People. Welcome, Camille. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. It's so nice to be back. Well, it is always a pleasure. So what caused a true literary fiction writer to uh, come to the pragmatic world of nonfiction? Uh, well, I um, had been going through kind of a rough patch um, because as as all creative people know, um, there are peaks and there are troughs. And I was in the middle of um, a, a, a pinchy period where I had lost my publisher and um, I was broke and I was just feeling I was feeling low, you know, even though the, the writing itself was going well, it was hard not to feel like, um, you know, when you're in a pinchy place and you have this tendency to think like, oh, this is going to be forever. And, you know, intellectually that it's not. Um, but it's it's hard to get yourself out of that. Um, so I was reading a lot of uh, self-help. Um, and new age kind of books, um, because I, I, I think that there's a, a lot of wisdom to be found in that section of the bookstore. Um, and as I was talking with my fellow um, artists, uh, mostly writers, but some other kind of artists, too, um, you know, we would get in the subject of anxiety and, um, you know, our careers weren't turning out as we had quite a had hoped that they would. And, um, and I would say, Hey, have you read Eckhart Tolle? Um, and they would just sort of shy away from it and be like, Oh no, I don't read that kind of stuff. You know, like if Oprah puts her imprimatur on it, they, they are not interested. Um, which isn't, which is unfortunate, you know? 
Um, but that, that, I think that's sort of, unfortunately, the, the attitude that a lot of writers of literary fiction, you know, tend to have. Um, so I realized that I, I wanted to write a book that didn't exist yet. Um, which was really, it was really exciting. Um, and I managed to, to write it, um, in a, a, like, you know, really quick, um, pace. I think I wrote it and like, you know, and as you, as you know, it's a small book, but, um, I wrote it in, in a, a couple of months. Um, so, you know, that made me feel like I was more of a channel for this material rather than, you know, it didn't come out of, out of my brain. I think, I, I think it was, um, time to have a book like this out in the world, um, you know, for people to, to get solace from, you know, to feel like they're not alone when they're having these, um, you know, angry, frustrated thoughts and, you know, constantly comparing themselves to what other people are doing and feeling inadequate. And um, so I wanted the book to be, um, you know, a self-help book for people who don't read self-help books. Um, so I like to think of it as a work of practical philosophy. Um, and I've been I've been getting some good some good feedback to that effect. Well, it's an absolutely enchanting little book, and we will, of course, link to it on the Main Street Vegan show notes. I'm interested, Camille, in the nature of envy, because something that I've always known about myself is that I never envy the most enviable people. I don't envy <laughs> Queen Elizabeth or Jennifer Aniston, but I envy somebody who's just like me and just did something a little better than me. What's all that about? Yeah. So, um, I, I really love, do you know, uh, Marie Forleo? Yes. Um, she's, yeah. So she had a really great video, um, about, you know, the nature of envy and she, she defined it as an indication. Envy is an indication that there is something latent in you that is asking to be expressed. Um, so rather than focusing on what's or obsessing with what somebody else is up to and, you know, oh, you know, so and so over here has just gotten this fancy book deal. And, you know, here I am over here plodding along um, rather than obsessing with with what's going on in somebody else's sphere. Um, you take that as an indication um, that there is something about you and your work um, that needs to come out and come forward. Ooh, love that. And, and for anybody who doesn't know Marie Forleo, she is a business expert, particularly online business. Uh, people who have worked with her love her and rave. So somebody to look up. Yeah, so, definitely. <laughs> so tell us in, in writing Life Without Envy, what did you learn? Oh, my gosh. I would say that you know, the one line answer to that would be, I learned the difference between success and satisfaction. Mm. And the way that I, I now define those two words is um, satisfaction is something that I give myself. Um, so these are um, things that I can bring into being that are not contingent upon external factors. Whereas success um, has so much to do with what else is going on in the world and what kind of books people are buying and what kind of books people are reading and, um, and all of that. So um, I've, I've really tried to focus on turning my goals for success into goals for satisfaction. Um, and that has brought me to a much, much happier and more serene place in my life, both you know, professionally and personally. I love that, Camille, and I, I relate to it so much. Just the other day, Monday, uh, J.L. Fields and I, who have collaborated with all of our Main Street Vegan Academy graduates, well, many of them, on the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook that will be out in December, we mm. made our deadline with three minutes to spare. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we turned it in at 4.57 on, <laughs> on Monday. And it's just what you're talking about. I feel like we've written some magnificent bestseller. And I know that what that is, is the satisfaction that we have totally done our best. We've produced good work. And what happens next December is what happens. But that satisfaction, nobody can take away. Mm, yeah, the satisfaction of work well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Now yeah. you have, you're continuing on uh, this line of thinking, but you're going to be focusing on vegans. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I knew even as I was writing this book that I was not done, um, that this was going to be sort of a, a, a book number one of a series of books on creativity. 
Um, and it's funny because um, my book on veganism and creativity, um, which I am tentatively calling uh, Tender Heart, which is a play on Tenderloin, of course. Um, and then the subtitle is um, the, um, the Creative Benefits of Compassionate Eating. Um, so, yeah, so that's all there in the subtitle, I hope. Um, and that might change. But um, but anyway, um, I had actually planned for this to be book three in a sort of a loosely um, joined series about books on, uh, about creativity. Um, and so the second book was actually meant to be sort of a more general confidence course. And then the third book was going to be about um, the creative benefits of veganism. And then um, after the election, I was like, you know what? This book is the best the best project I have in me, the most important project I have. So I need to re-examine my priorities and put a lot of other stuff on the back burner so I can focus on this book. Um, so I've just been really, you know, immersing myself, you know, not just in animal rights literature and philosophy um, and books about, you know, creativity and neuroscience and all of that stuff. But um, I've been reading a lot of children's literature too, um, actually. So, you know, I just read um, Rabbit Hill uh, by Robert Lawson, and I, I um, uh, reread um, Charlotte's Web, um, and there's just so much to talk about there because, you know, I'm sure we've all read, you know, most of your uh, listeners will have read Charlotte's Web as a child um, and, you know, really empathized with Wilbur the Pig. Um, but it's so interesting that, you know, E.B. White was, um, you know, became a farmer and felt this tremendous sense of guilt that he was, he used the word duplicity when he was talking about his relationship with his pig that he was keeping on his farm that he was going to, you know, sell to be slaughtered. Um, and so he wrote this book um, so that this pig could live, a, a real life pig who had actually died of an illness. Um, and he was like obsessively trying to keep this pig alive, but he was like, wait a minute. You know, I'm this pig was like his fate was already decided a little further down the line, you know, so why was it so important to me to save this pig? Um, so I've just been I've been thinking how interesting it is that, you know, you would think that E.B. White went vegetarian, right? You would think you would think, <laughs> you would think and he didn't. So I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, these sort of these acceptable hypocrisies. And, um, you know, all of this cognitive dissonance um, and this, this sort of ra the rationalizing and the, the apologizing that that, um, you know, that people do um, that keeps them from making these connections. Um, and I really think that resolving the cognitive dissonance um, has a, an enormous benefits for your creativity. Well, that's happened in your life. I know you, you contributed uh, a little uh, vignette to my last book, The Good Karma Diet, when you described being in India and, and making the shift, giving up the dairy, and how your creativity just flourished. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, big time. So, um, so for anyone who hasn't read your book yet, um, I went to India in the middle of, um, a, a fallow period. It was, a, it, back in the day when I first started writing my first several years of being, um, a professional writer, um, I would have these periods in between books where, um, I had all these false starts. I was really frustrated. I felt like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to pull this off again. I'm a fraud, all of this stuff. Um, and then when I had this really um, amazing, life-changing conversation um, with someone in India who was um, also volunteering on a reforestation project I was working on, um, which is an all-vegan community called Sadhana Forest. Um, so if anybody, by the way, is looking for um, an amazing um, volunteer opportunity where you get to see more of the world um, and eat amazing vegan food, um, I would highly, highly recommend Sadhana Forest. Um, but anyway, so after I had that epiphany um, that my friend, my new friend, you know, helped to usher into my life, I um, had never had um, a, a rough patch. I had never had writer's block since. Um, and I think that that's really significant. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, and I think I said in your book that um, I, I think that I... Um, you know, that, that fear and uncertainty are no longer... Um, you know, these these um, inescapable aspects of my creative process, because I'm no longer eating the fear of, you know, um, these cows whose babies have been taken from them. Mm. 
Well, I'm writing all these things down, Camille, because I want to put them in the show notes, but I think you should be tweeting them. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Said these yeah. amazing sure. things. Your creativity is no longer blocked because you're no longer eating the fear mm-hmm. of these animals. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Oh, wow. So for the creative people out there, particularly those who want to be creative in some way in connection with, with their veganism or, or their animal rights or environmental ethic, what's your advice? Um, well, I, gosh, um, I have so much to say. Um, so, so advice on, um, for, for creatives about veganism. Sure. Give us that. We only have two minutes left, so you're going to have to condense it. (laughs) Right, right, right. So, I mean, I guess I would focus, what I think has been really um, useful to me is, um, about, you know, finding a, a place for your work. Um, and, you know, not, not necessarily like obsessing over what hasn't been done before, um, but finding a need and then, you know, trying to fill it in a way that only you can do. Um, and so that's that was sort of my, um, you know, the advice that I got from a writing teacher way back in the day, you know, making a place for yourself on the shelf. Um, and I've sort of adapted that, um, you know, to to be um, applicable to people who are you know, looking to make a difference, using their creativity to make a difference in the world, um, you know, on their own terms. Um, I hope that's useful. It's it's very useful. And finally, last minute, Camille, for anybody listening who says, oh, I'm not creative. Is that true? Oh, my goodness. No, it could not be further <laughs> from the truth because we are all creative beings. Um, and that can manifest in many, many different ways. You know, I mean, mothers are the ultimate creative people, obviously. Um, but, you know, you're creating your life one decision at a time and one one attitude at a time um, that you that you choose to, to cultivate. So um, I think for anyone who has that attitude um, of, of not being creative, um, I would turn that around and say, I am creative um, and you know, see, see how that manifests changes in your life just by turning that, that belief around. Well, Camille, I could listen to you all day and I'm sure everybody listening is thinking what I am. This woman speaks so beautifully. We need to read all her books (laughs) (laughs) so that we we can uh, access your amazing words. And they come from an amazing heart space and an amazing spiritual space. You really are the real deal. And when, uh, well, when Tender Heart is a book in the world, you must Mm. come back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for making the time and all the best up there in Boston. And we'll we'll talk again. Okay. (laughs) And thank you. Everybody else, stay with us. We have the brilliant, the healing, the sexy Dr. Joel Kahn on the way. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. 
The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan show. A couple of announcements. There are actually two blogs coming up this week at MainStreetVegan.net. That's because we were busy turning in the book and kind of did them a little close together. So uh, my training as a humane educator by Lauren Gladstone is up right now. And uh, coming up probably before you listen to this show is a lovely piece on environmental entertaining by Jen Gannett. So do move on over to MainStreetVegan.net. Click on blog. Also, if you are in the Central Florida area, I'm going to be there this weekend, February 12th, Sunday, speaking at the annual dinner for Florida Voices for Animals. So if you want to come out and meet, and it's going to be an interesting, different kind of talk, I'm going to be talking about veganism as a way to bring about unity. It's no secret that our country is very divided and families are divided and there's all kinds of, I don't see things the way you see things, so let's not talk. I actually have a theory that veganism could help that. So if you're in the Tampa, Florida area, I would love to see you on Sunday, floridavoicesforanimals.org. And right now, oh, I'm so excited because I get to introduce somebody who is smart, who is good looking and who knows his stuff. And that is Joel Kahn, MD. His credentials go on and on. He is America's holistic heart doc, clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University and director of cardiac wellness at Michigan Healthcare Professionals. He's the author of the Holistic Heart book. He is a columnist for the Reader's Digest and he is just blogging all over the place at Mind Body Green. Amazing blogs. Just Google Joel Kahn blogs. You will be blown away. And as I said earlier, he is also a restaurateur with the very fancy and delicious Green Space Cafe in Ferndale, Michigan, outside Detroit. Welcome, Dr. Joel Kahn. Hurrah, hurrah. And I celebrate (laughs) your amazing commitment to go to Central Florida and talk about unity through loving animals, not eating them. What a great thing. It's an interesting concept because it is something that we all have in common. Even people who who don't think about farmed animals and the animals that they eat. But if there's ever an injured animal, everybody comes together. It doesn't matter age, gender, political opinion. Everybody wants to save the animal. And I believe there's something in there that could potentially change the world. And, you know, why not? have a big project instead of a little one. 
Uh, it, the whole world needs some help. So if anybody can do it, you, Queen Victoria, can do it. Well, I think all of us together are doing it. So, Joel, what's what's the coolest thing happening right now in the world of cardiology? Mm, a very, very slow renaissance of appreciating. Actually, maybe a little more slow, but lifestyle medicine. I mean, you got to... Lifestyle medicine should always be the first five things on a prescription pad. And, you know, and that's a comprehensive diet, stress, sleep, fitness, social support, love kind of approach to heart health. And it's coming in. I mean, certainly the lifestyle. I, don't, I was thinking about this. I sat down with a fourth-year medical student at University of Michigan three four days ago that said to me, um, she actually was totally distraught despite University of Michigan Medical School graduation and diploma coming up because nothing she learned in medical school really appealed to her heart center. You know, it's a pill, it's a surgery, it's a this, and she somehow managed to do yoga every day of four years in medical school and been plant-based and knows about the kind of medicine I practice and many, many other dedicated healers. And she goes, I just, you know, it doesn't exist in the world, and I don't want to go to a residency for number three for another three years. As explained to her, you know, that it's actually happening, that there's this world, and I broke it into three parts I never had before. There's the world of plant-based medicine, vegan medicine, which clearly could be 10 times, 100 times bigger based on all the science, but at least we have, you know, conferences now, and there might be seven, 800, 900 doctors show up at Plantrition Project or Dr. Neil Bernard's summer international conference on nutrition with you know amazing scientists. It's happening. I mean, I don't know if there's 25,000 or 100,000 physicians in the United States. I forget the number, so we've got a lot to grow, but it is happening. Then there's kind of the lifestyle medicine movement, which isn't always completely plant-based. It's always going to be plant-strong because there's no reasonable diet that isn't centered on uh, nutrition from plant-based foods. But that's growing very fast. There's an American College of Lifestyle Medicine that Dr. Michael Greger is one of the founding members. And their meetings are growing and talking about this wraparound lifestyle approach to prevention and treatment of disease. And then there's the final leg of it, which is kind of the functional medicine integrate, excuse me, holistic approach, which might get into other treatments, acupuncture, recce therapy, supplements, uh, sauna therapy, uh, energy medicine. And uh, actually, I think they're being accepted and they're out there and more available, uh, even with examples like University of California, Davis, and the integrative medicine department that's very plant-strong and friendly, <clears throat> and a similar one at University of Maryland. So I think that's the exciting stuff in medicine right now. That is exciting. Now, do you find that people are willing to listen to one <clears throat> another and allow for differences I mean, because I know sometimes people are like, you know, just do the plant-based thing and everything will be okay. But I've known people that that wasn't enough. And then they go off to Hippocrates or somewhere and they do raw or they juice or they fast and then they're okay. And to me, it seems like as many steps as we can take before going to drugs and surgery makes sense to me. Yeah, I actually agree with you. And, and no, is there unity in this renaissance of these three legs, completely plant-based or lifestyle or integrative? And, of course, there's a tremendous overlap amongst those three. But you can go to conferences that each one has its own focus and dedication. No, there's not really unity. Um, you know, and, and I don't speak poorly of anybody, but, you know, there's certain leaders of the plant-based movement that are very anti-supplement and anti-alternative approach. And then there are those that embrace all of it and have a, a larger toolbox, as I describe it. I'm in the latter camp, and I agree with you. I, you know, one, most people who are plant-based, uh, whether they're 80, 90, or are 100% plant-based, haven't been doing it for decades like you have and I have. Therefore... They're carrying some garbage from, uh, you know, the diet, the lifestyle that may have preceded their transition to plant-based. And, you know, and God bless, make the transition, jump on board, get into this amazing healthy movement for your body, for the planet, for your uh, soul and the, and the life of animals. But you still have to recognize there could be a medical problem. So I'm an, I am a integrator of my plant-based patients, 
may need acupuncture. And I'm, you know, I do very advanced evaluations because it's the best protection, just like an airbag in a car, but it doesn't always provide every protection. And, um, you know, we have scientific and other treatment ways that go beyond just what's on your plate. What's on your plate is fundamental. More in the tune of Dr. Dean Ornish, who saw this even in the late 70s, that the Lifestyle Heart Program was uh, really was originally a yoga program surrounded by a diet that supported yoga, that surrounded by an exercise program that supported yoga, but he couldn't sell a yoga program in the late 70s to anybody to fund it, so he changed it into a nutrition-focused program that just happened to have yoga and exercise and group and social support, and he was able to fund his studies that, you know, really defined the power of plant-based diet to reverse existing disease. Dr. Ornish got it long ago, and I'm more in that camp that, you know, uh, Dr. David Katz calls it forks, fingers, feet, uh, forks, feet, <laughs> fingers, whether you smoke, feet, whether you walk, and then he adds sleep, sex, and love, um, which, uh, maybe it's sleep, stress, and love, but uh, maybe I just put sex in there because you and I are uh, holding that title this year of uh, the PETA Sexy Vegan, so isn't it over 40, Victoria? Right. Well, they, they the said title? it was it's over, over 50, 50, but they yeah. let us sneak in. Uh, nobody thinks you're <laughs> over 50 anyway. So, yeah, I may, I may, uh, I'm a lumper, but I, we still are divisive, you know. Even amongst the pioneers of plant-based medicine that we can name McDougal and Dr. Ornish and Dr. Bernard and Dr. Furman and um, Mr. Pritikin, no longer alive, but the Pritikin Center is. You know, those subtle differences are sometimes sharp in terms of how they speak about each other. I'd like to see them all get together and do a group hug and, you know, and um, big kale salad and say, you know what, these differences are so small, let's be unified. And, you know, you see that more and more, but um, because I think it confuses people. Yeah, I think it's coming too. But, you know, my patients say to me, I mean, I had a conversation, you know, less than an hour ago. Well, Dr. Dr. Furman this and Dr. Ornish that and Dr. McDougall this and you know these it's the last one percent of the diet that they gotten rid of dairy they gotten rid of animal products they gotten rid of butter you know they're eating you know brightly colored rainbow beautiful rich whole foods eliminated most or all the oil but you know the olive the avocado and the walnut you know could cause World War III amongst some camps <laughs> and it's not necessary I agree with you we. You know, uh, the difference between 99 and 100% is so slight, we shouldn't be unified. And I'm very optimistic. That's what I told this medical student. I said, you've got this gift of an MD degree from a major university. You have this passion for natural healing. You know, get your training through the traditional route because you kind of have to. There isn't a plant-based, you know, residency right now. But go work every summer at the Barnard Clinic or, you know, go volunteer out at True North. Or, uh, you know, the McDougal Center or, uh, like you say, Hippocrates. So I think it's a great time that we're going to see. But it's not moving as fast as I like. Nothing ever moves as fast as you like. No. That's why I, I, I use the word vegan because all the aspects of it, I think, are going to push it further. Certainly the environmental stuff, the climate. One day we are going to wake up with, you know, water rising up to the windowsill, and we're going to say, oh, my gosh, now what do we do? (laughs) And it's going to be this. At least that's how I see it. So you mentioned yoga when you're talking about Dr. Ornish, and actually that was on the top of your list. I said, just send me a list of what you're passionate about right now. And yoga was the first thing. Tell us why. Um, you know, it's, a, again, a, like we've seen in the plant-based movement, um, you know, you can enter plant-based from um, uh, animal rights and ahimsa and an absolutely wonderful sentiment that we have no rights to kill another for our food when we have an alternative. You can enter it from the environment and the United Nations and Oxford and the USDA that have all called out plant-based diets as the best approach to repair the earth, which we've so badly damaged. And then you can enter it from health. And all of those now are supported by science, making your presentations, my presentations, you know, easier to back up. It's not opinion. Same has happened for yoga. That was a quick jump into yoga. That, you know, this ancient, ancient tradition, which has many different uh, uh, styles, which some of which, you know, incorporate meditation more than others and meditation and mindfulness is always really part of the core of yoga, uh, this unity and the yoking that yoga is of bringing people together and mind and body and spirit together. But the science behind it, that uh, mindfulness and yoga 
for arthritis, mindfulness, and yoga, for, really for anti-aging and some of the most cutting-edge research that they can actually uh, cause your very telomeres, your chromosome material to demonstrate anti-aging. Uh, that science is fascinating. It's its role in cardiac flexibility, longevity. There's an absolutely fascinating body of scientific data that's not well known. But um, the more flexible your spine is, there's a very strong correlation with how flexible and youthful your heart arteries are. So I mean, if you can't touch your toes, you know, your spine is probably calcified and not very flexible, but it reflects likely that your arteries are also calcified, aging, and not very flexible, which is not very good. And, uh, and it's not, this isn't just new age foo-foo. This is in the literature, and you can also improve both of them with kind of a spine-based flexibility and yoga practice and routines. Um, so, you, you know, I actually strive in my clinic. I provide people very serious measurements of what their arterial age is. You're 48 years old, but your arteries are acting like you're 60, 65. Yoga and kind of core-based yoga practices a practice I like called the Five Tibetans, which is an ancient yoga practice. Oh, you do those. I love Five Tibetans. I do it every day. You know, it's so good for your spine, but there may be cardiovascular benefits from that because as your spine becomes more flexible, you you have to be stretching arteries when you're moving your body in all those positions. You're stretching your aorta. and It's just an incredible synergy of, again, I, Dr. Ornish doesn't get the credit for yoga. It goes back, you know, thousands of years, but at least in the modern world of research and modern treatment of heart patients, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's incorporated now into the, there's, it's very interesting. In 2010, our country, our Medicare system approved two programs. If you're a heart patient, you've had a heart attack, a stent, a bypass, um, uh, that would be the major reasons. And you want to get better. There's something called cardiac rehab. You could do a little exercise, you learn a little about nutrition. So in 2010, our government said, wait, there's actually two programs that take that to the next level called intensive cardiac rehab that include diet and nutrition and cooking classes and social support. Well, the two that they funded were the Pritikin Center, which is 99.9% .9 plant-based intensive cardiac rehab, and the Ornish program, which is the same, uh, essentially 99% plant-based um, and it, they both incorporate yoga as a regular therapy of heart patients. So I always, you know, teach when I lecture that when you ever get flack from the other food camps, whatever it may be, Mediterranean, Paleo, Atkins, whatever, you know, our government, uh, whether you love it or hate it right now, and nonetheless has decided after looking at all the scientific data that things like yoga, things like kale, things like, um, you know, avoiding animal products and added oil is actually where the scientific data centers enough that they'll pay for you to do it. So phenomenal data on, uh, on yoga as a, you know, as a unifying way to bring our country together, too. Wow, that's very exciting. And, and you mentioned the five Tibetan rites. Anybody who's not familiar with that, there is a book. Do you remember the name of the book? But you can I have probably it at just home. Google. I'll look it up. I'm yeah, on me too. Maybe, but it's this tiny <laughs> little 40-page just... book of a guy in the skinniest speedo ever worn by any human because it's about a 30-year-old book. But it's it's a pretty amazing little book on it. Yeah, and you can probably just Google and, and get the five exercises. Now, you also mentioned telomeres. So tell us what else we can – first tell us what they are and then what we can do to make them really, really long. Okay, so – I, I happen to be extremely interested in this idea of healthy aging, extending your life. Um, and, and just to follow up, uh, the book that I think you're thinking of and I was too, it's called The Five Tibetans, Five Dynamic Exercises for Health, Energy, and Power by Chris Kilham, K-I-L-H-A-M. And you can buy a copy for a dollar on the Internet. Um, it's about a 40-page book, um, K-I-L-H-A-M, Chris Kilham. You can also just Google and see some YouTubes of people doing the five Tibetan. Um, so, you know, this idea of anti-aging and that certainly, um, you know, your diet, your sleep, your stress, maybe there's some supplements, maybe there's some things coming down the road that can allow us to live longer with health. It's called a health span. You want to extend your lifespan, but you don't want that's 25 years to be with a feeding tube and, uh, and unable to communicate with your relatives. You want that extended life to be with great health and activity and living like you're one, one of the blue zones where you're climbing mountains with your, with your goats or something until you're 98. 
Um, so one measure of how you're doing on that is uh, if you actually want to do it, you have a blood sample sent off to the lab, and at the tip of every chromosome in every cell in your body is a little special section at the end of the chromosome called a telomere, T-E-L-O-M-E-R-E. A lot of people compare it to the hard um, tip of a shoelace compared to the rest of the shoelace that's called the egglet of a shoelace. Somebody told me, so I memorized it. And when and it's measured in something called base pairs. So when we're conceived, our telomeres measure 15,000 base pairs. As we are born, they're actually already down to 10,000 base pairs because there's so much reproduction of cells going on. It's obviously most active time of division, division, division to let us grow to a fetus, to a newborn. And then... So you start life with about 10,000. Well, they get shorter and shorter and shorter because we grow, and then it turns out lifestyle can shorten them. So chronic stress. If you're a caregiver of a, of a child with a genetic abnormality or a developmental disorder, if you're a caregiver of a parent that's got Alzheimer's and chronic stress, your telomeres get shorter and shorter compared to those that aren't in that situation. Smokers, diabetes, obesity, processed food, sitting all day long, on and on, vitamin D deficiency. There's a, there's a number of studies that talk about lifestyle can accelerate the loss of the length of our telomere and therefore might actually accelerate the, the loss of our lifespan and therefore the science of trying to keep our telomeres long is an active uh, research. For about the past 20 years, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded in 2009 to Elizabeth Blackburn of University of California, San Francisco, a PhD that works with Dr. Dean Ornish on research. And of those things that have been shown to potentially reverse the aging process and cause telomeres to become longer, um, plant-based diets have been shown to do that in several studies, uh, including the actual science published by Dr. Dean Ornish with the Nobel Prize winner Elizabeth Blackburn about three years ago. Um, no other diet has ever been shown to cause your telomeres to get longer, therefore clearly suggesting an anti-aging effect to giving up animal products and adopting, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, and such. Yoga has been shown to do it. Um, a form of uh, meditation called Kirtan Kriya, uh, which is a little 12-minute meditation taught by a physician in Tucson, Dr. Kalsa, has been studied at the UCLA and has been shown to do that in chronic caregivers that are stressed and they're prone to have their telomeres short. There's an incredible book that came out about two months ago uh, by Elizabeth Blackburn called The Telomere Effect. It's a hardcover. It's a pretty heavy book, but it was written for the public and really synthesizes you know, a thousand studies down to uh, you know simple messages, how you can adopt lifestyles that are anti-aging and, you know, her little summary chart on what you should eat for telomere length and anti-aging would sound like Victoria Moran lecturing at Summerfest because, you know, avoid processed food, avoid excess fat, avoid meats, uh, add in fruits, vegetables, get your sleep. I mean, it's a, it's a really uh, nice synthesis, although she doesn't come out and say the only diet you should follow is vegan as your only option. Um, it's pretty much... Uh, the, diet, the, the, the data is that. So telomeres are important, although it's still expensive to get them checked, and um, we can just take the lessons and adopt them without necessarily getting the blood test for four or five or six hundred dollars because the technology of measuring them is still debated. So, yeah, she recommends mm. eat less animal, eat less dairy, um, don't grill food, avoid pesticides, uh, convert your cleaning products to natural ingredients to stay away from chemicals. Um, be careful around paints and other toxins and go greener in all those ways and, you know, kind of the whole lifestyle of uh, avoiding some of the modern stress of, um, of uh, toxins and uh, having the cleanest food and cleanest air and water you can in your life. So interesting I stuff. love it. But plant, the- yeah, plant-based diets win once again based on the actual science and data. Cool. Now, something else that you had on your list, and I'm so glad you mentioned this because everybody's all confused between nitrates and nitrites, and aren't they bad? And yet, nitrates in foods can improve arteries, but mouthwash kills nature's plan? What's that? And I knew somehow we would get to Viagra because we're both the sexy winners, so we're there. But I have to explain why we're getting to Viagra. 
Um, I, uh, if you were watching me right now, I'm wearing a tie somebody gave me 20 years ago that's a very beautiful tie, but very tiny little Viagra tablets are knitted into it because it was giving me a better rep. So uh, it's a good topic today. So here we go. We're on topic now. I took a little detour there. Um, the, you're, uh, each and every one of us have 50,000 miles of arteries in our body. Let that sink in. That's two times around the earth you have that many miles of arteries in one human body. You actually happen to also have 50,000 miles of veins. So if you want to really celebrate the miracle of life, four times around the earth is where all these little red blood cells are traveling through every part of your body. It's really a phenomenal thought. And inside every artery is a lining or a wallpaper called your endothelium. keeps the blood inside while it's shooting down to your toes or out to your fingers or up your head. Um, and we've learned that that lining, the endothelium, makes a wonderful chemical uh, called nitric oxide, N-I-T-R-I-C, nitric oxide, not nitrous oxide that the dentist might give for laughing gas. And nitric oxide is a miracle because it causes your blood pressure to stay normal, keeps your arteries clean, keeps your arteries from clotting inappropriately, which is what a heart attack and stroke. All that was defined in um, research during the 80s and 90s, and that won a Nobel Prize in medicine in 1998 for three very um, hard and uh, focused researchers. And the idea was that arginine, an amino acid found in many foods, but it's in watermelon, it's in pine nuts, and it's in arugula, and it's in other grains, that uh, foods that have arginine create nitric oxide. And um, all that was there, but we didn't have much to do with it. I mean, there was no way to really apply it into medicine at the time. So some docs were giving patients arginine as a supplement or athletes would take it, but it didn't have much role. And then in the last 10 years, a second way of making more arginine has been defined, excuse me, making more nitric oxide, NO, capital NO. And that is the one you mentioned, which is, again, a victory for fruits and vegetables, that certain foods have what are called dietary nitrates, N-I-T-R-A-T-E-S, spinach, green leafy greens, and beets, are the uh, three highest foods with dietary nitrates. As we chew them in our mouth, a big, nice, leafy green salad with some chard and some collard greens and some spinach and maybe some beets, uh, the nitrates on our tongue, as they have a little time by chewing your food and dwelling on your tongue, get converted to something called nitrites. You're not going to be quizzed on this. They are swallowed. They get absorbed into the blood, these nitrites, and they get converted by a very cool enzyme called XOR into nitric oxide. So there's a second way to make nitric oxide, which is food-based, which is foods that are high in dietary nitrates, which is why if you walk into a gym nowadays, you might see beet powder. The idea there is that in addition to arginine, foods like spinach, green leafies, and beets can be supplemented. That's why Dr. Esselstyn talks to heart patients about chewing on kale six times a day because it's a reliable way to keep your blood levels high of nitrites and get them converted to nitric oxide. So very cool stuff. Um, if you use mouthwash like Listerine, you can, the, the conversion from the nitrates in spinach to the nitrites that you need to get absorbed is because there's bacteria on your tongue that are friendly, healthy, they're called commensal bacteria. And uh, you can kill them with Listerine and other potent antibacterial mouthwashes it's been shown, eat beets, your blood pressure goes down to a healthy level. Eat beets after using Listerine-type products for a few days, your blood pressure won't go down. So you can negate the benefit of a healthy blood pressure by eating these foods or juicing these foods. You know, getting the beets with the beet roots and juicing them is a very powerful way to lower your blood pressure. Very cool. So Viagra fits in because Viagra also works through the nitric oxide system. When this Nobel Prize in medicine was announced, it took a company like Pfizer to say, we can take that knowledge and create a multi-billion dollar product. Now, it happened to be a sexual assisting product. It, uh, it hasn't had much other. But now we can actually help heart patients through their dietary uh, pathway by helping them make more nitric oxide. You know so many fascinating things. Oh, it's so cool to know. And, you know, you just eat salad and don't use mouthwash. Of that type. Uh, <laughs> well, and parsley is supposed to be a breath freshener, so it all works together. Now, out in the regular world, a lot of, of people with letters after their names don't ever mention animal products other than to say, eat some salmon and some chicken. 
But they say, do not eat sugar. Sugar will kill you. So what's worse? Sugar, <laughs> fat, processed foods that don't have sugar? People are confused. Yeah, people are confused. And legitimately, you can point out, you know, we learned, for example, about four months ago that three very prestigious Harvard researchers in the 1960s may have accepted money from the sugar industry to uh, change the tone of an article they were writing in a very prestigious journal called New England Journal of Medicine that was a review on um, sugar and its role in health and maybe not make it as um, critical of sugar as it would have been otherwise. These are three very well-respected doctors. It's still controversial if this is completely accurate. Whatever it was, I've read the paper. The paper could not have influenced anybody. It's so dense in science. It's, you know, it didn't make the cover of Time or Newsweek or something where millions and millions of people saw it. I'm not making apologies for it. If they actually took money to influence the tone of the article, it clearly was wrong, and they're all passed on to the greater pastors at this point. But so, you know, out of that has come the feeling that everything we have said for the past 60 years about nutrition, everything that Dr. Ansel Keys researched about the role of saturated fat from animal products, butter, marbled meats and such, um, even eggs, everything was wrong. Look, here's these crooked guys took money and, uh, you know, it, it always was. This is like a recurring theme over the past um, 15, 20, 25 years that, yeah, we lost. We we have been misled, and sugar is the evil substance in our diet. And indeed, saturated fat from butter, from marbled meats, um, uh, from the skin of chicken is one of the healthiest places to eat. God, nature made chickens. How can it not be good for you? And it's so been abused and twisted and dishonest. Even today, I get engaged in Twitter. If anybody's listening, at Dr. J Khan, A D R. JKHN, and I, I engage. I'm like Top Gun. If I mean, if I, a random person I see on Twitter, so there's a guy named At Dr. Diet, uh, and he's an MD, and he puts the cover of Time magazine two years ago that said, eat butter. And, you know, the only thing he puts is, you know, we had it all wrong. Now we know it's right. It's sugar, not saturated fat. Enjoy your butter boom. And that's an MD speaking to the public. You know, and I attacked him. I said, you know, you don't have one medical reference here. You're relying on the cover of Time magazine, which is a reporter, who's been scathed by the scientific community for his biased approach. You know, and I actually attached right below there a medical article that actually came out this week summarizing. So let me summarize all that data. And I believe I'm hitting the nail on that. One piece of data is Americans eat seven to 800 more calories a day, roughly in their range, than we ate 30 to 40 years ago. Seven to 800 more calories. Our plates are bigger. Our forks are bigger. Restaurants service bigger portions. We're used to bigger things. You know, our... Jumbo Slurpees and our supersized everything. I mean, we eat more. So therefore, we and it's been shown by USDA, we eat more sugar than we did. We eat more protein than we did. We eat more fats of every type than we did. We eat more calories. We're fatter than we used to be. I've lost you, Joel. Okay. So I know we're all waiting with bated breath. We have three minutes left. And as soon as we get Dr. Khan reconnected here, will tell you the answer to the how bad is sugar compared to animal foods. Because I'd like to know. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> Remember going to a um, documentary a couple of years ago. It was called Fed Up. Katie Couric um, was emceeing that. That's not the word you use for a documentary. But anyway, she was there. And um, we walked out, and my husband said, okay, I think I get it. It's the sugar that's bad for you, and we don't eat the animal foods for the ethical reasons. And, of course, I felt the need to explain as well as I could, no, of course, ethical reasons. And in addition, um, there's also some really bad stuff about animal products. So let's see what's happening with the... Uh, technical situation sometimes there's some really bad stuff about technology as much as we depend on it i think he's back i think he's back mm, okay Hello. thumbs up from my Whoa. engineer hey joel okay all right in our last two minutes you were talking about sugar you, i know and, you were and saying, what happened is the sugar the sugar the sugar lobby is so powerful 
They can disconnect <laughs> phone calls. I believe that. They were you jamming know, us. Um, those, Gary Toggs was jamming my phone call. But you were saying uh, we're that we eat more sugar. Money? Yeah, we're alive. Yeah. More sugar, so more protein, saying, right. more so fat. The data is it just the data is you know, we're eating more of everything. We're eating more calories, and it's a substantial amount of calories. Those calories the USDA says is we're eating more sugar, we're eating more oils and fats, we're eating more salt. Um, our plates are bigger, our spoons are bigger, our forks are bigger. Um, you know, it isn't just that we're eating more sugar, and we've actually got all the rest of the diet down perfect. You know, America is overloaded with kale, but it's the damn sugar. It's everything, and it's so um, reductionist to point to sugar alone in this debate that's been going on. And, you know, who wins if the public's confused about the fact that saturated fat from animal products might be good or might not be good, might actually be healthy. Of course, the meat lobby, the dairy lobby win tremendously, but a confusion, and, and there's good evidence to believe a lot of this confusion, cover of Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and other things are due to paid-for confusion, uh, supporting uh, soft research and bloggers, and it's just there's, I can go on and on. I don't want to go there, though, but the reality is okay. we do <laughs> We're done anyway. Uh-huh. We do eat too much sugar. When you know, when Jamie Oliver dumps a wheelbarrow of 150 pounds of sugar that an average teenager might eat in America, it's terrible. I mean, you know, Coca-Cola with you know 20 teaspoons of sugar, or Minute Maid lemonade with 22 teaspoons of sugar. It's not human food. It's horrible, horrible stuff. People should drink water, green tea, black coffee, and uh, kombucha, but get off all this stuff. But it's not the only ingredient. I can show you Dr. Ansel Keys, the founder of our modern conception of the Mediterranean diet, and a, and a researcher now passed on who is just beat up by these pro-animal um, uh, paleo kind of bloggers that uh, I don't respect for their lack of scientific credibility, like Dr. Mercola and others. Um, he well, said in 1967 I'm... in his book called uh, The Humble Bean, I think it is, I have it over my shelf, you know, he said the, pro, the benevolent bean, it's called the wonderful book, the benevolent bean. He says in there, it's disgusting how Americans eat so much sugar. What we need to do is reduce sugar intake and add more beans in the diet, and we'd have a health outbreak. And he said Love that in it. the 1960s at a time, you know, that uh, supposedly we had it all right. He pointed that out, you know, 40 years ago. So we eat too much of all that saturated cool. fat Dr. Khan, I products. Need to... Yeah. I need to stop you just because the next show is coming in two minutes. But you do. You, you just so amaze me. Don't eat animal fat. That's a conclusion. Okay, that's that's what a nice conclusion. And if you want more, and if you want to read more about what Dr. Khan has to say about the work of Ansel Keys, you've done some amazing articles uh, about that, drjoelkahn.com. Uh, the website for our first guest, Camille DeAngelis, is cometparty.com. And I'll put all that on the show notes over at MainStreetVegan.net. Dr. Khan, keep being smart, keep being sexy. And Unity well, Online Radio... <laughs> You're so sexy, time flies by. It does. <laughs> and thanks to Unity Thank for hosting us and everybody listening. God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
When your world goes topsy-turvy and turmoil threatens, try this exercise. Think about tranquility. Let the screen of your mind reflect whatever the word tranquility may bring. Perhaps you'll see a majestic snow-covered mountain peak, perhaps a clear still lake or a sparkling stream. Enjoy whatever image comes. It's your thought. Now let yourself find the place of complete stillness deep within you. Here you are poised, serene, and peaceful. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote, At the still point, there the dance is. The dance of life continually shifts its rhythm and form in its attempt to carry you beyond limited ideas of who you are. Enter into the still point of your being. There, regardless of what may surround you, you will find peace. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.